Alright guys, it's Parker here. I just want to give a quick disclaimer before the episode starts that Andrew and I have rebranded the podcast. It's now called The Reality Project. Um, Ever since we started the podcast, we've kind of figured out that we like talking about these big thought-provoking questions like why are we here, what is time, what is death, stuff like that. We really like talking about that. So that's why we decided to rebrand it to The Reality Project. Now, our goal is to challenge your current perception of what reality actually is. So I hope you guys enjoy and let's get on with this episode. We urge you to have an open mind as we explore the big questions about the universe, life, and what's beyond. Welcome to The Reality Project. The human race is obsessed with asking one simple question, why? Ever since our existence here on Earth, we have been on a journey to understand the universe around us. This innate curiosity and desire to answer the age-old question has led to our current understanding of reality. This perception is based on two principal scientific theories, quantum mechanics and relativity. Quantum mechanics and the theory of relativity predict the complex inner workings of our universe with extreme precision. But it seems as though we are at a standstill. Quantum mechanics and relativity are incompatible. They cannot coexist. That might have you thinking, so what now? Allow me to introduce to you a theory of everything. Hello everyone and welcome to episode one of the Reality Project. I'm Andrew. I'm here with Parker again. What's going on? And today we are going to be discussing two uh, really big scientific theories, quantum mechanics and general relativity. We're going to be talking about what those two theories are, how they work, and why they cannot be combined into one theory that explains everything in the universe. So we'll start off with a little brief overview of each and go from there. So why don't we start off with quantum mechanics? You want to tell us a little bit about the basics of quantum mechanics? Yeah, so quantum mechanics is basically the study of the really small and how these particles interact with each other. So the subatomic particles, elementary particles, stuff like that, how they interact with each other. Um, and stuff gets really freaky when you get down to that level. It almost seems like it's magic. And then if you want to explain general relativity really briefly, um, it's basically the exact opposite. Yeah, so general relativity kind of looks at the bigger picture of the universe and like the bigger uh, bodies in the universe like planets, black holes, and it also talks about how uh, space-time works and how gravity kind of is made by space-time. So basically, it just it, it, it's a bigger picture of the universe, whereas quantum mechanics is at the very small subatomic level, kind of like Ant-Man. If you've seen Ant-Man, <laughs> the, the quantum realm, that stuff. Yeah. So let's just start with quantum mechanics. Why don't we start off by briefly explaining what's physics, right? Physics that you learn in school is basically explains physical phenomenon yeah how Mass. how yeah how normal how matter interacts with each other on our scale on the normal size like a person a car just how normal it's newtonian physics how normal matter interacts with each other yeah so mass energy inertia speed all that stuff that's what a lot of people would call classical physics and that's kind of what we deal with in our daily life so quantum physics, like we said before, deals with things at the very small subatomic level. And basically, quantum 
physics or quantum mechanics really started to be studied in the late 20 late 19th early 20th centuries right yeah and the big kind of breakthrough experiment that got scientists thinking about uh, quantum mechanics was called the double slit experiment so basically what the double slit experiment was was an experiment where they had um i don't know what it was metal or something or yeah just like a a metal sheet two slits in it those were the only openings behind that metal sheet was basically a screen that recorded anything that hit it so basically what happened is is scientists shot electrons through these two slits and what basically happened at first is that these what you'd imagine to happen is that these electrons would go through those two slits and hit the screen directly in the spots where they went through right yeah, the, yeah, right. And you would expect to see two pillars yeah, yeah, where two, all the electrons yeah, went through. Two lines. Um, that's what you'd expect. Now, later they find out that there are those two lines, but everywhere else on the screen, there were lines as well. And it just made no sense at all. And what they concluded from that originally is that these particles were acting like waves because that's how a wave would act if you shot it through, you know, a slit. Right. Um, it'd be as if like imagine you're dropping a pebble into a pond and that creates a ripple and then that ripple those ripples collide with each other and create new ripples and it just goes like that yeah so scientists figured out you know these particles act like waves then later on they do it again and this is where quantum mechanics really comes in and they really figure it out even though this even made even less sense so they tried to observe this happening. So they put a measuring device um, right near the metal plate or whatever it was that had the two slits, and they tried to measure what was going on. Um, so when they measured it, they found that the electrons passing through the slits acted as particles. So they only hit the screen behind it where the two slits were, which is not what they originally saw. So. They saw when they measured it that they were acting like particles. When they took the measuring device away or turned it off, they acted like waves again. And this is where they came up with um, particle wave duality or wave particle duality. And it's basically where a quantum particle is both a wave and a particle until it's observed. Right. Yeah. So basically, when they observed the phenomenon happening, it acted as one thing. And when they weren't observing the phenomenon with you know a scientific measuring tool it acted differently and so that's where this whole duality thing comes up yeah and this kind of takes us into um quantum superposition so superposition is probably one of the most um bizarre and confusing things in quantum mechanics just because it makes absolutely no sense um and just so you guys know this all this stuff that we're talking about happens every day, every second. This is real. This isn't this isn't like magic, even though it seems like it. This is real stuff that actually happens and happens all the time. So basically what superposition is is a quantum particle can be both here and there at the same time. It can be one or zero at the same time. It has a probability of being this or that. So it can be anything it wants until it's observed and that's the thing with quantum mechanics is like it can be whatever until it's observed um so um this was really made apparent 
by Schroding, Schrodinger's cat. It's basically a thought, uh, a thought experiment um, done when they were all finding this all out. So what Schrodinger's cat basically says is that you place a cat in a box. Um, in that box is also a bomb. It has a 50% chance of going off and it has a 50% chance of not detonating. Close the box. The only way we can find out if that cat is alive or dead is by opening that box and observing it, right? So the cat is either alive or dead. But what's actually going on in the box when we're not observing it is that the bomb is both detonated and not detonated, which means that the cat is both alive and dead. So basically it has a superposition of all of these different outcomes. And until we open that box and, f and see the cat alive or dead, that's the only way we know. So basically his whole, his whole premise here with this thought experiment is that all, the, all these quantum systems are in superpositions and they can be this or that and we have no idea until we observe it. We observe it at a single spot and that's, that's what we see. Yeah, and that's kind of a fundamental problem of quantum physics is that in order to study these things at such small levels, basically, in order to observe something, we have to interfere with it. Yeah, we have to observe it, which is the weirdest part of quantum mechanics is why it almost seems like backwards. Like, you can't get anywhere with it. Right, it's like it always dead ends somewhere. It's like, yeah. oh, well, do you really know what it's like? Because you observed it, therefore you interfered with it, so you didn't know what it was like before. You know, like, it... It always kind of dead ends in that, that same question. All right, so another main uh, idea in quantum mechanics is this thing called quantum entanglement. Quantum entanglement states that two particles can somehow communicate to each other over extremely long distances. Any, any distance. They could be placed on either the opposite ends of the universe. Right, and they're still able to somehow communicate with each other at it basically instantly instantly faster Fa than the speed of yeah. light which basically is not allowed in our system of thinking because nothing's faster than light yeah as said by einstein's theory of special relativity nothing can go faster than the speed of light exactly but somehow these entangled particles can communicate faster than the speed of light so basically how this works is one particle would be spinning up and immediately, once we observe that particle, somehow they communicate. We don't know how, but they communicate instantaneously. And the other particle that is across the universe is spinning down, the opposite. So somehow they know, the, the particles know that, okay, I'm observed now and communicate somehow and you're, you're spinning down. It, right. Like it, it knows, basically the other particle knows how to react. It's like, oh, if particle A is spinning one you know it's spinning upwards then i have to be spinning downwards yeah and it's it's makes no sense and it breaks all laws of physics <laughs> right yeah that's basically that's not allowed in classical physics like that just is not that doesn't work and i guess again this kind of goes back to this idea of we had to observe that particle in order for it to communicate with the other particle right yeah because this kind of brings us to heisenberg's uncertain uncertainty principle where if we want to observe this particle, we can't know both its position and speed. 
we can only know one or the other. If we are exact about its position, then then we know nothing about its speed. If we are exact about its speed, we know nothing about its position. It's it's probability. That's what quantum mechanics mechanics is based off of everything in quantum mechanics is really about probability we're not able to know where something is exactly at one second at one point in time we can only say that there's a probability that it might be here at this time yeah. basically it's all probabilistic yeah exactly so an experiment was actually done to prove quantum entanglement this isn't like an idea this is real um, scientists took one particle that was entangled with another, took one of them, like across, I think across a country or something like that, or long distance, maybe it was, I think it was over miles, like 100 miles or something like that, and they took these, separated them, they were entangled quantum particles, and one scientist observed the particle, and it was spinning whichever way it was, and the other scientist that was across across the land or wherever they were saw this particle spinning down actually saw it spinning down the opposite that they were entangled and they came to the conclusion that they were communicating um very like way faster than the speed of light which as we said before is totally against classical physics and relativity as we know it yeah and the reason why this is important is because just imagine if we were able to somehow harness this technology or this ability to communicate at this oh, speed yeah. i mean who knows what we could do with yeah that i mean it brings in like quantum te teleportation stuff like that like right. it's the possibilities here are literally endless <laughs> yeah so that's kind of a brief overview of quantum mechanics so we have particles can be both particles and waves at yeah, the same particle time. wave duality particle wave duality also this idea of uncertainty and everything being a probability we can't know exactly where a particle is. Um, we can only predict where it might be. Yeah. Uh, also, superposition and entanglement, which are super main ideas of quantum mechanics. Yeah. Super important. But next we're going to explain um, general relativity. So as we said in the beginning, uh, relativity is basically, well, I guess, theory of general relativity or general theory of relativity is basically the study of the really big and you know black holes um earlier actually quite recently we got the very first picture of a black hole which was, was crazy um but yeah black holes stars dark matter dark like stuff like that um uh and combining space and time together which is very big no one's ever thought of that before until einstein um showed this and basically what that says is that space, we have three dimensions in space, right? We have length with height, right? And then we have time. Now, he says that you don't ever say to someone, hey, you want to go get coffee at Starbucks? Without saying a time. Come get coffee with me at Starbucks at 2 p.m. You don't ever say, hey, you want to get coffee at 1 p.m.? Without saying a place. The two are interconnected. So in this theory is a fourth dimension, and that is time. And that's why we say space-time. General relativity also focuses a lot on gravity. So basically, a planet or some large body 
is able to bend the space-time around it. Basically, any large object matter in space bends space-time. Meaning, if you were to put a bowling ball on a trampoline, it would bend in the middle and curve to, to the, the mass of the bowling ball. And that's what creates gravity. Now, before this, everyone thought gravity was, you know, a force, as explained by, you know, Newtonian physics. And Albert Einstein proved that wrong, obviously. And in his theories, he, um, his equations allowed for gravitational waves, black holes, which both we have found. And I think it was like 2014 or something we, f we first saw actual gravitational waves very very recently we got our first picture of the black hole so general relativity is is very strong in its predictions and it's very very precise and we've used it ever since Albert Einstein came up with it in the early 1900s so now that you have a brief overview of each of these theories we're gonna talk about why they can't be combined so one of the biggest reasons why is general relativity describes gravity and how gravity happens and why it's there, but quantum mechanics doesn't really have a way to describe gravity. So as you know from our intro, general relativity and quantum mechanics technically can't coexist because they contradict each other. Basically, general relativity says that space-time is this nice geometric, smooth um, bending of space. But when you get down to the microscopic level and subatomic level, as we talked about in quantum mechanics, everything is based on probability. We don't know where particles are. They're sometimes here. They are here and they are there at the same time. There's a lot of chaos going on. So with all this chaos going on at the microscopic level, we can't have, on the macroscopic level, a clean geometric space-time. It just doesn't work out because we don't know where all the particles are. They can be here or there. Um, and that's one of the reasons why they really can't work out together. Another big reason why is general relativity explains how gravity functions and why gravity exists in the first place. Whereas quantum mechanics doesn't really have a solid way of explaining gravity. There is one theory called quantum gravity, but it's kind of haphazard. It doesn't really get into the details. It just kind of assumes that gravity is, is our, our particles. Is that Yeah, correct? that there's a, there's a graviton particle that accounts for gravity at this very small scale where there's a ton of chaos. But it doesn't really explain it, explain it well. But... A, like that's one theory that kind of tries to explain gravity. It's not really a theory of everything. It kind of is. But one of the super main um, mainstream theories that's going around right now, even though we can't really prove it, is string theory. Now, you may have heard of string theory, and it's kind of, it's kind of hard to understand because basically it says that you know, when you get into these elementary particles like these quarks and gluons and stuff like that, when you go in and see like, okay, these these neutrons and um, electrons and stuff that make up atoms, what makes up those those particles? And it basically says that there are these strings that vibrate and 
based on the way that they vibrate, they make different particles. Right. Just like a string on, on a guitar, if you pinch it in different places, it produces a different frequency. That's kind of string theory. Yeah. Everything's made up of this same fundamental string, but the way that it vibrates, it creates a different particle. Yeah. And one of those vibrations is said to be to make a graviton, but still can't prove it. And string theory, for it to work, it it requires many more dimensions than we are used to. Like we have four dimensions. Um, in one of the cases, it can come up to 20 dimensions, which it's just, it's super, we don't know if it works yet. And so it's not very, very solid, but that's one of the mainstream, um, th- a theory of everything. So kind of another, th- this isn't really a theory of everything, but it's, it's, it's a really big idea and kind of plays a big part in a lot of these theories that try to explain everything. So this is called Godel's incompleteness theorem. Basically what this states is that our mathematical system and our mathematical way of explaining phenomena, there are certain things that we cannot explain. There are contradictions within our mathematical systems that are just inherent. And this kind of ties back into these kind of ancient philosophical questions of like, how do I know that I'm real? I think therefore I am. How can you prove that something is true? You know, things like that. Yeah. So that's basically what this theorem is stating is that there's certain things that, that we'll just never be able to fully. Yeah. Know. Because with arithmetic, you don't, you can't, how do you like, how do you prove arithmetic? You know? Right. So yeah, it's basically because we are using arithmetic and math, there are, errors and issues that come along with it and therefore we may never be able to come up with a theory of everything right yeah just for an example um there are these fundamental building blocks of math that we can't really prove like zero zero and math zero is a number but how can we prove that zero exists when it's technically nothing well yeah and the Going back to quantum mechanics, quantum mechanics doesn't allow for nothing. It doesn't right. allow for zero because it's the particles have that probability characteristic, as we've said multiple times, um, and they vibrate in space. And there's just there is no zero according to quantum mechanics. Right. So basically, there's just things that we kind of assume and we can't really prove for certain. So there's, there's just limitations that we have that just can never be truly proved. And that's what this theorem states. So we've basically discussed how there can't be... Right now, there's not a theory of everything. Yeah. Um, so some questions that come up from this are, what happens if we do find a theory of everything? What if humans are able to explain every single phenomenon in the universe down at the subatomic level we know everything we can prove it it's testable where does it where, where do humans go from there i mean is that the peak of humanity or what's next you know yeah i mean it's kind of scary to think about could you imagine knowing everything like when in our lives have we ever known everything like i feel like the because humanity doesn't know everything is why we're still alive is why we keep innovating and is why we are are advancing and are a successful civilization um 
but the thought of actually finding that theory of everything in in the near future is kind of scary because um it may feel like we have no purpose if we know everything right it would it would solve it would give us answers to if there's a god if purely laws of nature i mean i don't know i feel like it would be hard to to know that you have a purpose i read this book uh by elizabeth colbert i think is her name it's called the sixth extinction and basically one of the chapters focuses on what she calls the madness gene and just like what you were talking about what humans are the reason why humans are so successful is that we are like you said we're constantly innovating we're constantly discovering it's in our dna basically to go out and always yeah, push the boundaries we're of what's curious possible. yeah yeah curiosity is part of our dna so I liked your point about if we discover a theory of everything, we understand how everything works in the entire universe. What, what's like, the yeah, point? You know? What is left? Like what is left for us to solve? Right. I don't know. It's a great question. to Wired Insights for providing us the assets to make this episode possible. And as always, thank you for joining us today on the first episode of The Reality Project. We hope that we challenged your perception a little bit and made you think about what's around you. We hope to see you in the next one.